Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Isaac. And this is your boy, Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And folks, we have got another wonderful interview for you today. We've got a gentleman that has, man, he has played juniors. He's played professionally. And now he is on the TV giving you a lot of tennis announcing uh, announcements. And uh, we are just really happy to be able to talk with him today. Bryce, I know that you have followed this gentleman for a good while. What are some What are some of the things that you'd like to say about our guy, Nico? Well, I just got to set it up. Um, we're here, obviously, at World Team Tennis. And we were walking out. And I recognized him walking through the gate immediately. And I said... And um, and so it's one of those kind of moments where you have to say, like, okay, let's not make a fool of yourself. Right. Uh, (laughs) uh, But, yes, you're right. Um, I I definitely remember watching. I mean, he played during the heyday of when I was coming up in in, in the tennis, and he had – he played two of my – what I call male tennis trinity uh, guys. And he did something that I don't think a lot of people talk about in his junior career uh, that we'll talk about um, in a few minutes. But yes, uh, I was very excited to see him. But furthermore, I want to give this little piece of the story. I was watching Tennis Channel one day and I heard this voice commentating that I had never heard before. Uh-huh. And it, it had a little bit of an accent and and I liked <laughs> the tone and the demeanor uh, of, of the analysis. But I was like, who is, who is this, this guy? Right? I have no idea who this guy is. <laughs> and I think I had heard him maybe two or three times before I actually found out who it was. And I was like, really? He's like one of those guys like Terrence Trent Yarby. Did he just like fall off the earth? <laughs> I hadn't heard his name in a long time. And uh, and he has become truly a staple yes. on the tennis channel. Absolutely. Um, and so, listeners, I welcome to our show for you, Nico Pereira. Nico. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. Come on. You're going <laughs> to make me blush. <laughs> I don't have that much of an accent, do I? <laughs> you probably fit in Miami really well. <laughs> I so, love it. I love so it. So tell us, how are you doing? What's going on? You know? I'm doing. And nowadays, that's that's a lot. You know, I'm, I'm doing. I'm you know, excited to, to stay uh, active and to stay uh, present in the, in, in the sport that I love. And I'm, I'm grateful and, and I'm... Uh, Extremely thankful to be doing what I do, and uh, it's been a ride, you know. And, and at, at 51, I'm I'm still ticking and uh, still enjoying uh, what I do, and I feel blessed. Uh, so it's, it's it's a long story. So I guess we better get started. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that we're all the same age, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Uh, I'm about to say, has your birthday come? Yeah, your birthday did come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're all 1970 babies. Um, so, so let's start from the beginning. You know, so, you know, I saw that you were, I've only known of you connected with Venezuela, but when I was actually doing some reading on you, it said that you were actually born in Uruguay. Correct. Uh, tell us about that. How- well, my whole family is, is from Uruguay for six generations. They came from Portugal to Brazil, ended up in in the northern part of Uruguay, and that's where we were until my parents moved to Venezuela when I was three, and my sister was not even a year old. And uh, 
We uh, moved there in 73 because of the political situation in Venezuela. And uh, I grew up there and I, you know, started playing tennis there. And I, you know, got my first uh, taste of uh, competition. And I had all the support of the Venezuelan tennis community. So when it came time to compete, it was a no-brainer. And, and played for Venezuela proudly for my whole professional career. Nice. And, and, and Nico, who... who... Who introduced tennis to you or how did you become interested in the sport? My father was a professional basketball player, but he always loved tennis. So my father and my mother uh, played you know, amateur tennis uh, when they were adults, just friendly club tennis. And I was you know, from another country, so I didn't have many friends and I'm pretty shy. So I played against, uh, hit against the wall. It was the easiest thing to do. I didn't play soccer. I didn't hang out with the other people. So with a badminton racket and a tennis ball, I started hitting and uh, it was easy me, for me to pass time doing that and uh, it became a passion. So at what point did you go from just kind of playing and having fun and it being a passion to thinking, this is something that I can maybe do as a career? Well, you never think about it as a career. Back then, you didn't think of sports as making money. I thought of it as a vehicle to see the world and meet people, which is what I'm passionate about. It was never about the money or never about the career, but I knew at age six, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. That's wonderful, wonderful. And did you play in the juniors at all, Nico? I played, uh, I played, I competed since I was seven, eight. I did my first trip uh, to play uh, in Santo Domingo when I was eight or nine. And then I started playing internationally by the time I was 11. So yes, I did the whole, the whole, the full Monty. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, let's take it to a magical year in your career, and that was 1988, um, playing the junior level, the boys level tournaments at the majors. Um, you know, I don't know where you finished for the Australian Open. But I know you did pretty good for the French Wimbledon in the U.S. Open. <laughs> I, I had, you know, started traveling solely for tennis at uh, 14 and uh, went to Boliteris for a couple of years. Long story short, in 80, at the end of 87, I uh, hooked up with Colón Núñez, who was Andres Gomez's coach at the time, a top 10. So he invited me over to train. I lived with Andres at practice with him day in and day out. And... And um, hitting against a guy with, of that caliber to play with the juniors, you know, came rather easily. And uh, regarding your questions in Australia, there was a great A in Venezuela that that uh, Lendl won, McEnroe won. It, it was a, a more important tournament in the international scene than the Australian Open at that time, all due respect. So I played the, the Venezuelan tournament that gave the same amount of points. That makes sense now. It makes sense. Wow. Now, I, I'm curious... After having won the, the boys, juniors, and the other three, French Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, did you ever look back with regret of not playing the Australian Open? Andres uh, Gomez thinks so. <laughs> when I won the French, Andres looked at me and said, well, you should have gone to Australia. I go, listen, if I went to Australia, I wouldn't be here because I won the tournament in Caracas, which to me was much more important. Mm -hmm. And then when I won Wimbledon, he looked at me and winked. And then by the time I won the U.S. Open, he didn't have to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I'm, not, I'm not one of those guys, luckily, because, I, you know, you could regret so much in this life. And uh, I just think it's my path. And uh, 
very excited. Knowing now what winning a, a Grand Slam means, yes, definitely. But at that time, if I didn't win Caracas, there was no way I would have won any of the other three. So yeah, you yeah. can't regret it. Sounds at that, understandable for sure. And then at that point, after you closed it out with the U.S. Open, was did it? It was that the point where you were saying, okay, maybe I now transition into the pro tour, or no? I, I was playing satellites by the time I was fifteen, uh, challenger qualies and and more satellites at sixteen. So really that junior year, I was not thinking of playing, playing the juniors. I only played six events and I won all six. There uh, you go. <laughs> I, by, by the time the year ended, I was 148 in the ATP already. So wow. I, I, the juniors was something that the ITF people told me after I won uh, Wimbledon. I had won uh, four events by that point. And I said, listen, if you don't play six, you uh you will not qualify to be the world's number one. So I played JAL Cup in Japan, mm-hmm. and I played uh, the U.S. Open, and those were the six events, and and uh, that was it. But for the rest of the year, it, it was all professional uh, tennis. I you know uh, ended up as I said 148, and by by 89, six months later, I was uh, number 82. By in, in March, April, I was already top 100. So it, it was a, a it was a natural evolution, and and the junior thing came as a uh, as as a result of me playing the pros because I was a little bigger, I was a little stronger, and I think that's what made the difference at that stage. And and Nico, question: How how did your parents and your sibling deal with this? This as far as you traveling and the transition. I mean, you're getting you're, you're all the success. You you have to be out and about. Were they okay with kind of letting their you know, letting their son go out and 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 travel and and do all of these things at such a young age. Well, my parents are are just amazing, and they're just you know they march to the beat of their own drum, as does my sister, and as I like to think I do as well. And and you know they left Venezuela, they left Uruguay for Venezuela with two young kids. Then they left Venezuela for Uruguay, and then they came to live in the states. Now they're living in Uruguay. So they're very peculiar people. They were just happy to, to have their son doing what he loved and doing it well. And they backed me up all the way and all the sacrifices they made, I could never thank them enough for. And yes, I think my sister, who is two, three years uh, my junior, I think she suffered because her older brother left. So I think that's a scar that still haunts her. But uh, I've tried to make up since you know make, make up for it a little up, bit that's right, right that's right so let's talk about your game now unfortunately uh, the game style that you had is not a very popular game style anymore you know big serve aggressive good net player one-handed backhand uh, did all of that just come very naturally to you or was that a type of game style you you made a decision to go after no i, I grew up in caracas venezuela which is you know a, it's it's altitude, so uh, you're talking about over two thousand feet above sea level. So the ball flies quite a bit. So you you need to be a field player. You, you didn't have the the finish of the strokes, which later on would be something that would work against me because ninety five percent of the tournaments are played at sea level. So I I grew up in a place that the ball was fast that 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 I needed finesse mostly. Uh, backhand slices were were my my day to day shot until I 
got to train in Argentina when I was 14, went to train with Perez Roldan and Davin and those guys. Um, and then uh, I really learned to hit over the ball. But before then, it was, it was mostly slice and short strokes with a lot of feel, but not a lot of spin. That's why. And then also, you know, in your professional career, and this is one of the things that I was talking with you about. Yep. And I think we're similar. We may differ on Lundo a little bit, but my male tennis trinity was Roger Federer, Yvonne Lundo, and Andre Agassi. That is like who I grew up kind of. Not too bad. Now, you played Lundo. You played a hell of a match against uh, Agassi uh, at Wimbledon. Tell me as a fan, what was it like playing those two guys? I grew up with Andre since we were 12. Mm -hmm. You know, you were saying we were child of the 70s, where that was Andre and that was uh, Jimmy Courier and Franco Davin, Todd Martin. We had a nice crew between 68 and 72. We had some very, very good players. So uh, playing Andre was second nature. We practiced during two years. We had we were in the same group at Boliteri. So we, you know, we hacked it up against each other a couple of times a week there with the Jose Lambert group number one, which was pretty good. Uh, Martin Blackman was there, Chris Garner. That was, that was a very, very auspicious time of, of my growing up and my development as a player. So to me, to play Andre was, come on, bring it on, boy. <laughs> and and that, was, that was second round of Wimbledon and, uh, in 94. And, you know, I had caught on. I started playing again in, 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 in 92 after, you know, like two or three year hiatus. And um, and Andre, I had him five, four three and serve in the fifth set, and the son of a bitch went to the bathroom. <laughs> he, asked, he, asked, he asked, he asked, he pulled the sissy pass. I mean, to this day, he apologizes. Now, Andre, I, I have him in the highest regard. I'm a big fan, and I, I love that man, and, and I only wish him well. I didn't even remember he went to the bathroom, by the way. He's the one that brought it back. Nico, I'm sorry, man. I, I apologize. What for? What for, for pulling a fast one on you? No, I, he said he really needed to go to the And I believe him. That is awesome. Now, what about Lundo? Well, Ivan was, yes. He, he was high up there because I grew up idolizing him. I still have his signature from the 1979 year he played in Caracas, that, that junior tournament. I still have it in one of my albums, and I tell him. Uh, but Ivan was, was, you know, the bar to jump <laughs> yeah. over. And I really got lucky because I got scheduled to play on court one, which was the fastest court there at, the, at Wimby. And I ended up winning a couple of breakers, I think, to take him to the fifth. But then he just had another gear or two, and he left me in the dust. But, <laughs> but, but that was, that was uh, my first, you know, I would say, encounter with great tennis. Uh, because I was only 18, I, I was coming from winning in the, uh, in the junior ranks, and, and I was on a roll already in the top 100. I had beaten Edberg the week before at Queens, so I felt I, I had a shot, but... Uh, that was that was a real real um, eye opener for me, uh, and unfortunately, I, I couldn't keep it going. Oh, and, and let, let's not skip over the humble brag there, okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> he had just beaten Edward, yes, right? Yes, Hall of Famer. Come on, he's beaten Tomas Muster. Well, number one at the time. He's beaten 
Forrest Becker, mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. Yes. He, look, I used to watch Tim Mayotte all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beat him, too. Well. He, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. How to Win Ugly. Mr. Brad Gilbert. Yeah. Yes, yes. He showed him ugly. <laughs> <laughs> don't, tell, don't tell that to Brad. <laughs> so you have had some really quality wins in your career. Absolutely. That is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's been good. I it's easy to get up for those matches. Tough winning those matches on court seventeen with three people watching. <laughs> Two of them you're paying for them to be there. It's it's, it's rough, you know. Uh, but um, it 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 was a good ride. It is a good ride. I you know I enjoyed, uh, suffered, cried, laughed, and and that's what it's all about. You know, living. Yeah, and, and Nico, I'm I'm actually curious about your Newport. So you, you got the title there. I mean, talk to us about just that entire week. I mean, how did it feel to you? Did you kind of feel like something special happening? Or or, or just kind of take us through that 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 title run? I didn't like to play in Newport because I always thought the courts were too soft coming from, from England. Mm-hmm. But uh, due to the fact that my serve was going well and, and uh, particularly I wanted to qualify for the Olympics. I always yeah. – I always – played well around Davis Cup and around events that I wanted to do well because I, you know, I really went out of my way to prepare myself. Yeah. And, uh, and I think my best results came either before or after one of those uh, instances. And, and uh, the Olympic Games were something important for me. I uh, remember in 88, Miroslav Machir coming with the gold medal to an exhibition in Hong Kong. And, you know, I always wanted to play. Tennis was not an Olympic sport when I started in 92. I couldn't go because the Venezuelan government or the, the Olympic, the Venezuelan Olympic Committee did not allow me to go because you had to do the Central American, the Pan American Games in order to qualify for the for the Olympics. You know, some sort sort of game for them to collect medals, and and I did that. I I, I jumped through the hoops uh, in ninety four, ninety five, and ninety six to get to the Olympic Games, and 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 I did. And I think Newport came as a result of that. Also, uh, it suited my game. Serving Bali, like you were mentioning, I love to chip and charge when I had the chance. I, it, it's sort of an altitude game at sea level, so I, I think it suited my game well. So, okay, so you had a quality junior career. You had some great wins as a professional. A lot of people know you now as a television analyst and commentator. Was that always something you wanted to do, or did something happen or a special opportunity come about that just, you know, opened your eyes to that? No, I, I stopped playing tennis at 26. I wanted nothing to do with the game. I had nothing to do with the game for the next couple of years. I wanted to live in Venezuela, so I retired in, in 97, and it, it was not a decision that I made, you know, point blank. It's something that, you know, months just started to pass, and I wouldn't get into the tennis court I had a bad bad injury in my shoulder that came at 18 and that's one of the reasons that I didn't I, I feel I didn't have such a proficient career but uh, I wanted to live in Venezuela I had some things going over there I, I, I loved that country I love the geography I like traveling in, in Latin America to remote places as one of my passions and I said all right I'm done you know enough travel uh, for tennis and and I shot it down uh, and then, uh, then Chavez happened in '98. Chavez won uh, the election there, and things started to go south. So by 2000, I always had a place in Miami, and 
the opportunity came to work on TV. There was a channel opening over there, buying the rights for, for tennis events. And uh, a friend of mine said, hey, listen, go check it out. You know, here's the contact. So I went and the guy goes, well, this is a Spanish and Portuguese um, station. And uh, the, the spots in Spanish for men and female tennis are, are covered. Uh, and I go, well, I, I speak Portuguese. And uh, I got in, started uh, doing some uh, women's Portuguese uh, broadcasts and I was doing you know I lived in Miami was playing a lot of golf uh, I had other interests uh, but I was doing you know 15 20 weeks a year going to the Grand Slams and then that that, that was my start I, I had no idea I had no want whatsoever to, to become a broadcaster and then when that channel shut the doors most of those employees came from ESPN they went back to Bristol and they brought me back with them, and I started working uh, at Bristol, and that's how it all started. And it's not like I, I didn't pull a tennis strength derby. It's just that I was I was in tennis 25 weeks a year. I was covering all the slams. I was just covering it for Latin America. I've I've never could let go of tennis for some reason. I, I just transitioned to English thanks to, you know, uh, the people at Tennis Channel that have been nothing but fantastic to me, but. I have been covering tennis nonstop since uh, 2000, so I'm, I'm I'm right on the ball there. And uh, I went to all, all four slams uh, since 2000 to 2020. Maybe I missed a few, and uh, I'm proud to be part of a, the Tennis Channel family now. Well, I tell you what, we are happy that you're a part of the family as well. Um, I, like Bryce said, he kind of heard you and heard that voice and was like, "Who is this guy?" And I watch Tennis Channel. I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's crazy. But when I listen to you and I hear you, there is a sense of genuineness that I get out of your commentary. I really get your, I just appreciate your perspective a lot when you are on there and when you are speaking about players and matches. It, it, I don't know why, but it just it it, it 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 sits it sits well with me, and and so for me, I am a big fan of you. Appreciate that, and I just really appreciate all that you do. Thanks. Because it is a it was a, a spot on ad because it, you and I were talking about that. <laughs> where we were like, wait a minute, Nico, we were like, okay, we like him, <laughs> we really yeah. like him, and 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 our listeners know we can we can be a, a little bit rough yeah. as it relates to uh, <laughs> broadcasters. So. We have our favorites. We have our- not so favorite. Oh, I tell you, it, 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 it's a great team there, and 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 I, they've been they've been great, and I, I think I fit in because I, I'm different. Yes. You know, I, like I told uh, Bob Riley, you know, I said, "Hey, listen, you know, it's great, great programming, but come on, man, <laughs> you need an accent." There. <laughs> That is awesome. That is awesome. Oh, they've been great. Yeah, Ross and and the whole, all the producers and and all the talents have taken me under their wing. And and, uh, they make a bit of an effort to understand my English, but (laughs) it comes across. Right, right. But I appreciate your your comments. Thank you. Yes, no, very true. Absolutely. Now, we can't end this interview without tapping into some of your tennis analysis. And one of the things that we often talk about on the show is that tennis currently is in a state of transition. We're seeing people like the Williams sisters start to maybe transition out of the game. The big three are kind of on the end of, of their road. 
What do you think about the next gen, and who are some of the players on both the men's and the women's side that you're excited about? Well, I'm excited about it all. You know, I've seen tennis transition a few times. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, from when I started playing and the Connors and the Borgs and the McEnroe's and then Beckers, the Edbergs, the Belanders, Lendl's, and then uh, the women's grew up idolizing uh, Chrissy Everett and, and, and Martina and, and Tracy and uh, Hannah Manzlikova. I always enjoyed you know, watching her play and then watching Steffi was something that I was always in awe of and, and Gabby... She was always been a sweetheart. And then Monica Seles, I loved. I remember the day she arrived at Bolly Terriers when she was 12. So Monica is, was, is big in my list. But uh, Serena, what she has done is just, it's huge. It's, it's tremendous. It's Mount Rushmore worthy. And the boys, you know, the, the four big ones, because I put Andy right up there. Um, and I just feel the tennis is, is just transforming itself. I, I'm one of those guys that, takes it as it comes and I like changes I, I I I'm good at having having the memory of what happened and cherishing it for what it was but I'm not nostalgic about it I'm always looking forward to what's coming next kind of keeps me young and and I think we have a good batch of people I'm interested in what's happening to Naomi I always thought I saw something in her eye that it's it's uh it's a straight, it was strange, and, and I hope she overcomes it. She, I think she's, she's great for, for the sport. She goes, she's one of those personalities that transcends the sport. I'm big on, on Ash Barty. Love yeah, to that, watch man. her play. I love what she's all about. Yes. I love how she goes about her business. I love uh, watching all of, I'm a big fan of Simona Halep. You know, I just love it all. Yeah. I like it all. And with the boys, you know, the guys are, are, are great. I like Medvedev. You know, he's like a mad chess master <laughs> uh, on the look and on the court and the way he plays. I, I like Tsitsipas. I really enjoy his game. I love, it, you know, how he, he flaunts his, his smarts and his philosophy outside the court and how he goes about it. I love the guy. <laughs> uh, I really like... Um, Felix and, and Dennis, I've been following them because I have a weak spot for, for Canadian tennis. Andre, I have to add Andrescu there. Oh, yes. Jumping back to, Layla, to the ladies and Layla and, oh, yeah. I, you know, Raducanu. I, I'm just looking forward to everything that's coming. Um, I, uh, I'm a tennis enthusiast. And uh, like you guys, I know I, I watch in awe of, of what happens and... and and without going too far, you know, I, I mean, I love the format of world team tennis. I just like that every point counts, that the sets are shortened by one game, and then I would like to see more switches, you know, <laughs> during the matches. Right. But, but you know, to encompass all of it, I'm very excited to where tennis is going, and and um, I hope that uh, we can overcome this this damn pandemic that has hit us. I think uh, the authorities all in all have done a good job. I hope that as a result of this, tennis comes together as a community and everybody sits at the table like they are doing now because they have to. Now maybe they'll find out that that's the best way to go about it. All the the majors and and all the entities with the ITF and the ATP, the WTA. I just feel that we should all go in in one direction and and, um, Excited for what's to come. You know, I'm, I'm, I try to be as positive as possible, considering the circumstances. But I, but I like what I, what's happening. Love that. Love that. And, and, and Nico, just on a separate note, 
anything going on that you want to share with our listeners? Do you have anything happening? Are you writing a book or is there anything special going on that you would like our listeners to, to know about you? I'm pretty private. You know, I, yeah. you know, a lot of people are interested in me not writing a book. Then <laughs> people are interested in reading my book. I don't think I, I don't think I'll get you know big readership. But uh, no, no, I'm, I'm nothing. You know, I'm, I'm a simple guy that enjoys his, his three kids and, and the family, and and I enjoy tennis, and I'm happy to be around the people that I grew up uh, idolizing, uh, sharing the tennis court, and and and. Uh, it's nothing, you know, that extraordinary. It's like keeping to myself. I need my alone moments, and uh, I like my peace. You know, I don't like too much noise. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, man, I, I'm, uh, what you see is what you get with me. Like and that. listeners, I want you to know, you know, Nico has just been a gem. I mean, yes. we met him, and he didn't know us from Adam on the street. We told him we were interested in talking to him. He unveiled himself. He even followed up with us when we gave him a card that thought had our email address on it and it really didn't and um it's it's just refreshing um to meet people that are as genuine as they come across on the screen so we thank you for taking the time with us it's my pleasure thank you for taking interest and uh anytime whenever you want you know if if we share the love of uh, of tennis uh we have uh we have that uh, that relationship so I'm an open book whenever you want, guys. Congratulations for the podcast. For the podcast. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much for that. So, to our listeners, um, like I reminded you, we're going to let Mr. Perr go because he is a working man here at World Team Tennis, <laughs> as yes. are we. We're going to head back in the match, into the matches. Isaac, do you have any final words before we sign off? I have nothing except to say thank you so very much. Really appreciate you. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, on behalf of the podcast, this is your boy Bryce. And this is your boy Isaac. And we are Brothers on Everyone, Take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.